The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, stop binging Heidi Montag's ass and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan, announcing show number 476, recorded live at DevLink in Nashville, Friday, August 14th, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Teller, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who thought about not using that Heidi Montag joke for about five long seconds, Carl Franklin. Hey, Nashville! Welcome to .NET Rock! It's a rowdy crowd. There must be 50,000 people in the audience today. <laughs> Thank you. We are at DevLink in Nashville, Tennessee. Hey, Carl. Hey, Richard. How you doing, sir? Here we are again. I love these shows that we do on the road because, first of all, we get to have barbecue, especially yep. when we go to the South. Yes. And second of all, it's, it's great to, to come out to the community, see what real people are doing, what they're really talking about. And what uh, what's on their minds? Absolutely, and and uh, DevLink seems to have a great. They did last year, they did this year. Was the open spaces were outstanding? Yes, yeah, really great conversations over there. I went and spent some time with the iPhone developers. So today we're doing a talk on. We're having a panel discussion on the topic: Has software development gotten too complex? And of course, we're mostly .NET developers here, so we'll mostly be talking about from that experience. But uh, by no means is the is the uh, discussion limited to Microsoft Technologies? It's a it's a general discussion. There are a couple of microphones in the audience. If you have a question at any time, just come right up to the microphone and and we'll uh, and we'll call on you. But first, I would like our esteemed panelists to introduce themselves, starting with the Reverend, the Right Reverend Billy Hollis. I call you always say that. Yeah. <laughs> and down here in the Tennessee, they don't think it's funny. <laughs> 
So, yeah, I, for the for the radio audience, I, I've been in Nashville so long, and most of the people here know who I am. Uh, consultant, author, speaker at conferences, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, train on advanced user interface stuff, and most of the folks around here have a pretty good idea of what I do. And I guess most of your audience does, too. We sure, do .NET so Rocks every once or twice a year. Yeah. yeah. You are a regular. And, the, the and the DNR TV series you've done is really cool. Yes. It's great stuff, man. I had a great time with those. You know, I still get, even though those things are pretty old, I still get email about that yeah, yeah. every once or twice a week. Well, that one in particular that you did where you showed the, the business example of a line of business application that uses WPF and uses it effectively. That's right. For a local company, company here in Nashville, the Samay Group. Anybody from Samay here? Yeah. Your application is famous. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought that was an, uh, a perfect example of, you know, stuff that everybody used as a, you know, why would we need a WPF for for a line of business applications, and you you show them. Take a look at this. Kathleen? Uh, I'm Kathleen Dollard. I am a other speaker, stuff like that. I'm also the chief technologist of a company in Boulder, Colorado called AppVenture. And uh, your your forte has been code generation for so long, and now yeah, what are you working on? I've been doing a lot of code generation for a long time, uh, working a little bit more in architectures these days, definitely working with the managed extensibility framework, or MEF, so I'm a, as I've said, I don't know whether MEF is addicting, but composability is. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> And you also did some great DNR TV shows on uh, advanced C-sharp. I, I have, and I've also done some work on uh, the what VB programmers should know about C-sharp and what yeah. C-sharp programmers should know about VB. Great stuff. Good to have you here. All right, let's continue on with our esteemed panelists. I'm Jim Holmes. I am currently a program manager at Telligent. I have a background in development, testing, affectionately referred to as the test Nazi. Uh, I have done development in Perl, Java, C++, those kinds of things. I'm also very active in the Ohio developer community and uh, glad to be here. Thanks. So uh, obviously a good person to have on the panel who knows all about shipping software, which is uh, a, great, a, great, uh, a great thing. Josh. Hello, my name is uh, Josh Holmes, and uh, no relation to Jim, even though I would claim him as a brother if I could. Um, physically, we're not a tremendous amount alike. <laughs> he has hair and I don't. Uh, I work for Microsoft, and I'm an evangelist focusing on user experience and architecture. So. Excellent. And you also have a lot to do with, with uh, DevLink, don't you? Uh, so I, I've, been, I've been involved with DevLink for several years now. Um, uh, probably so, and I actually did the opening keynote here this year, uh, and, and my keynote topic, uh, hopefully relevant to this particular panel, was the lost art of simplicity. Hmm. Yeah, that's a fits right in with what we're talking about. So, quick show of hands. Actually, let's not do a show of hands because this is an audio show. Let's do by clapping. How many people think software development has gotten too complex? I see people not clapping. And how many people think otherwise? <laughs> Definitely very close, but less. Yeah, I less. Think. Yeah, and there's also a group that are just happy to be here, too. How many people just want a beer? <laughs> <laughs> Clara's clapping. She wants a beer. She's my dark. Stand up for a second, Clara. She's my seven year old daughter. She's right in the front. Clara, come on. No. Did no. anybody hear her? Anybody hear her introduce .NET Rocks a couple weeks ago? Wasn't that fun? She wants a beer, ladies and gentlemen. Well, 
All how right. Do, how, how do we, we start, start this <laughs> train wreck? So is uh, software development yes. too complex? Billy Hollis. Because <laughs> you know I have no opinion on it. I know you have no on opinion the shows at all. We've got on? Yeah, no. guy, guy builds software every day. He wouldn't. It's, it's easy, right? Yeah, actually, this is a great place to talk about it here in Nashville because from my perspective, I think Nashville shows why it is too complex. Nashville doesn't have tremendous numbers of huge companies that can afford large teams to master all kinds of technologies. Yeah. And since we're in that small to medium space, um, it's probably worthwhile to poll the audience on this. Okay. How many of you work on a development team that is three people or less? Clap. About a third? I'd say a third. Okay, so, and, and, and that's what we tend to see in this area. Now, if you look at the .NET universe right now and you look at what you've got to do to get a complete application done, you've got a pretty long list of technologies there. Yeah. You've got, you've got the language. You've got some kind of transport mechanism. Is it remoting? Is it web services? Is it WCF? You've got various UI possibilities. Is it ASP.NET? Is it ASP.NET with MVC? Is it Windows Forms? Is it Silverlight? Is it WPF? And how many different data access technologies do we have? Because oh, I have lost count. There get, are so many. Is it around seven? At least. Not that I could list them all. We did a show on that. and You got Astoria. You got the entity framework. You have the dynamic data. You've got inhibernate. How about good old a, uh, ADO.net? ADO.net. And so if you just look at the sheer numbers, if you've got a fairly small team, and I get this from interviewing people a lot because I interview folks from the Nashville area a lot for clients. And if you ask about even fairly typical things that have been around a while, like generics in the language, you don't tend to get a really high adoption rate just because people feel like there's too much to know. So teams carry us to a certain level, but what I'm, what I'm really scared about in terms of the reason I, I worry about the complexity issue, there's a local company here, some of you may know it, it's called Rehab Documentation. You guys know Rehab, some of you? Yeah, I've got some over there that know it. Now, Rehab started out in the mid-90s with uh, doing physical therapy management software. It's healthcare, like so much else here. And they started out doing something on Microsoft Access. The founder was in a band, which, you know, that's Nashville, right? Every right. other person. I'm one of 15 people in Nashville not in a band, I think. <laughs> and he was in a band with a guy who was going to Nashville Tech, taking Access, and they started working on a, something to automate the office. And then here we are, 14 years later, they have installations in all 50 states and they're a 30-person company with about five .NET developers. Now the question is, suppose they start today in the Microsoft world and they just want to slam something out to see whether or not it makes sense and it's it's a model. They don't know for sure whether they're going to do it. What what do they do? What how do they how do they cope with that? I mean that we had access, we had Fox Pro, we had classic Visual Basic back then. What have we got for those people today? So I think what you're really saying is part of the complexity issue isn't as much the complexity of using a particular technology, but the sheer number of choices That's, that need to be yeah. made and therefore an assessment has to be done about every available choice in every category. That's, that's right. So if yeah. so if this if somebody comes up and says we just want to slam something out, the typical .NET developer today has to say, well, I have to develop my data access layer. What do I choose there? Yeah. And if you got and, a team, chances are half of them are going to want to use MVC, half are going to want to use Visual Studio. Blah, yeah. Blah, blah. So the the higher up you go in terms of size of company and size of the team, the less the complexity issue matters. 
But if you if we're leaving off the companies at the low end and they become successful, now what does that say about the .NET ecosystem 10 years or 15 years from now? Because they're not going to suddenly become successful and then say, hey, let's switch to Microsoft. Let's give uh, some of our other panelists a chance to chime in. Clap, so, it's okay. <laughs> Kathleen? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying to is, follow is up cool. on what Billy said, I wrote a, a editorial about four or five years ago that was somewhat misunderstood, in which I talked about the hobbyist programmer becoming extinct and what that meant for the rest of us. So we lost the hobbyist programmer about, really, they really never made it to .NET. And the hobbyist programmer to me is someone who does not work 40 hours a week on programming. They're, they have a day job. So they're a doctor. There was one good friend of mine who used to be a grip. And he was in San Francisco, not Hollywood, but he worked on sound stages. He was a, he was a grip. And, um, which means somebody who runs around and makes sets and things. And we lost the one man shop in the last couple of years. And what Billy is saying is that the one to three man shop is now under threat. And this is a trend that we have seen over a fairly long period of time. And to me, it is one of the measures of the fact that we're, we're too complex. And, I don't know. I mean, there are people that think it's not too complex. I thought it was a question we would have full agreement on. Are you talking about the, the sheer number of choices now in complexity? Or are you talking about the technology itself? It's, it's far, I think it's far more than just the sheer number of choices. It's the fact that uh, we have some uh, millions of architectures in the wild because the only way we have to express an architecture is to read a white paper and try to figure out how to do it. So we have someplace between millions and hundreds of millions because every organization, every project has to restart figuring out exactly what the minute details are. It's that problem. It's how fast technology is coming at us and choices are coming at us. Um, and, and it's just the, just the overall scope of it is just getting really, really big. Now, you, you guys, you know, all, through all four of us actually, and I don't know about you guys, but we're, we've sort of been around in this business a really long time, and we could easily give the impression that, you know, back in my day, we had Visual Basic 3, and we liked it, you know, with that we, you know, we're sort of just, uh, we couldn't, maybe we couldn't do everything that we can do today with those tools, and they, they did have limited choices, but they also had limited, uh, yeah, my I don't want to go back. My criticisms are not because of what I want, because I love .NET, and the stuff that I can do in it yeah. is amazing. But I'm projecting into that group of people that I talk to on a regular basis that, that, that are not into the technologies the way I am. Yeah. But I think there's some value to be had in doing some initial exploration, even those smaller teams, and looking to cut the complexity by kind of making those decisions once. Yeah. And using some careful consideration to the tools that you want to use. I mean, at one point or the other, you have to get going, right? But make a choice. What's the simplest thing? I'm a big lean advocate. And there was an interesting point made at eRubicon that we were at last weekend, Josh and I, where one of the speakers talked about automating your decisions. So rather than having to spend a lot of time rebuilding things every time, you put some thought in once, and where can I reuse these templates? And that's not a silver bullet, but that's a way to kind of consider, do I need to consider all of those technologies? Maybe not. Maybe I can find something that will work for our small team, and we can reuse and we get familiar with. Do you get a sense that, I mean, as a culture of developers, and maybe even as a culture in general, there's a sort of era of we always have to find the best? 
And now we have so much choice that finding the best is just going to take too long. We have to work with good enough. I'm big on that. Uh, you know, the shiny toys are nice. Cowbells 4.0 may be really cool, but maybe 3.0 will get you where you need to be, and you're familiar with it, and the people that you're handing the software off to, what's meeting your business need? Right. One, <clears throat> one other area of complexity that has come up in my discussions has been, yeah, okay, so let's, you've got the, the tools themselves, which, you know, have an advanced learning curve. WPF is really vast, and, you, you know, we've talked to no end about that, for example. Um, you also have the number of choices, but now you also have, okay, let's say today I want to put together a development machine from scratch, and I want this technology and that technology and this technology. It's not like I can just pick one product off the shelf and install that, and I'm ready to go. No, I have to get SP1 of this. I have to get other these other service packs and toolkits. And good luck going to the Internet to try to find which is the current version. Because guess what? All those posts where people say, oh, no, you got to click here, and this is the link to get the stuff. Well, you know what? 30 days goes by, and that may be completely invalid. Does it come off the Internet, though? No. It stays there. So, And then you got these guys who, who use blogs that don't post the dates on their blog posts. That's brilliant. Brilliant. So, um, so this is, you know, this is another added to the complexity is just the, you know, the, what it takes to knowledgeably get the latest tools of the latest bits on, on a box and ready to go. I think that's another big stumbling block. It's barrier to entry for sure. So, uh, agreed. Yes. Uh, all three of them, what they said. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. Yeah, I've uh, known Josh five years. That's the least any? I've ever heard him say. So, so, so to, to, to ramble on a few minutes, um, I, I think that there's a number of different layers of complexity that we need to be thinking about. And one of them, in, in what I've heard so far, is just the process. Uh, you know, just getting started in building for that small one to three person shop, or even some of the larger shops. Kind of making those decisions up front and picking the technologies, learning the technologies, and getting from zero to to to, to, to you know uh, to, to the end zone. Um, I, I think that that is a, actually a, a, a valuable discussion to have. But I also think that we need to think about you know our our end users and our um, you know what are we producing and is that too complex. Um, I, one of the things that I've seen that's been very interesting and very dangerous, uh, you know, kind of picking back and talking about what um, uh, Billy and Kathleen talked about, the one-person shop or the one-to-three-person shop, they are the end user. They are the business user. They are building the tool that fixes their problem. When they are no longer able to do that with the technologies that we have today, we need we, we as technologists, need to be able to communicate with those users and pull out what they actually need, not what they're telling us that they, that they want. Because what they say that they want is not necessarily what they need. And in that one- to three-person shop, they only had time to build what they needed. And at this point, they're not doing that. We need to do that for them so, or, or go back to giving them tools that, that allow them to, to, to do this. Customers themselves. don't always know what they want. Yes. In other words. Yes. So, I mean, that, that, you know, the one to three person shop, the beauty of that and the simplicity of that was that the end user was building what they needed. It's they just, are no longer able to do that with the current set of tools. 
Well, and also the, tying into what uh, Kathleen had said, that the hobbyist developer was often the developer who was a domain expert. Yes, We're exactly. We're seeing a, exactly. a much stronger separation between the domain expert and the developer now. And that was actually where we got our, our range, an uh, awful lot of our range of applications that were successful. Billy's story goes on time and time and time again. We're looking at companies today that are 30 to $300 million companies that started with FoxPro or Access or possibly VB, more often the other two, built a business up, a real business, and they're still here with us today struggling to hang on. We don't have another group that's coming up through that same way, the person who understand how a county government managed its assets. We don't have those people coming up. Instead, we have people going to venture capital companies for cool new tools, and we still have new software, but it's an entirely different driver than it was in the 80s. I wonder if that's just a natural evolution of the industry, too. You know, by, by the same token, I'm thinking, yeah, .NET's gotten more complicated. Well, it isn't version 1 anymore. You know, this is the, I feel like we've gone the same route that the Java guys have gone. Complexity naturally grows as the library ages. Well, I don't know. I work really hard to push that back. That's, you know, it's my passion for a very long time. And, and I think we're simply ready to go to the le- next level of abstraction. We've needed it for a long time. We're technically ready to go. We just, we, we just don't have the will in the right places to, to get there. And I think that there's a lot of people working on that problem and that we will get there. Um, and I, I hope it's in the next two years. You mean because of the plumbing issues? The fact that, it's not that just we the, have to know a lot about plumbing to do anything? Well, the, that's actually the first step. So I do code generation, and so I can create, if you know the architecture, if we can get the architecture, I can create an application very quickly. 30 calendar days is a lot of time to me. However, what happens is that once we do that, what we find is there's a whole lot of ancillary problems that are hidden by the fact we can't write code fast enough. And so once we do that, then all of a sudden we find out that, oh, by the way, our ability to understand validity and quality is nearly zero in this industry. Um, our ability to understand architectures is only about 10 or 20 percent. We these big areas that have to be addressed once we're able to start doing that. And that's what I think keeps us from going to the next level of abstraction. When you try to go there, you run into new problems you weren't ready for and you freak out and back off. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, without whom this show would not exist. No doubt. You bump into testing tasks now and then in your work. And we can bet writing functional tests is not your favorite thing. It's difficult. It takes ages and the results could be dubious. Well, get ready to start liking it thanks to Telerik. With the just-launched Web AII testing framework, building web automation tests is a breeze. Enjoy code-based automation of advanced ASP.NET AJAX and Silverlight apps Write a single test and have it executed against multiple browsers at once. Benefit from rich API link support, integration with Visual Studio unit testing, NUnit, XUnit, and MBUnit, not to mention the free wrappers for Telerik RAD controls for ASP.NET AJAX and Silverlight that ship with Telerik's new testing tool. Surely one of its best features, Web AII Testing Framework, which is developed by Art of Test, is absolutely free. If you're already hooked on Web AII testing framework, you can start using it right away. Go to Telerik.com for more info. And hey, make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. You know, when I think about the tools that we were talking, you are just talking about Access, FoxPro, Visual Basic, you know, um, this, these were all before the web. And these all don't really scale all that well. And... Uh, uh, do you think that's a factor that is now 
just the reality of life that is preventing the, the sort of simple tool from being there in the first place. Well, there's more to hide. There, there's a yeah. lot more complexity. The next level of abstraction will not look like the last. The last was a matter of language, and that was mm-hmm. the last one we had was when we went to, thir- uh, to any kind of English-readable language from assembly language. We haven't had one since then. This mm-hmm. one will be vastly more complex because the systems we're building are so much more complex, but every application or the majority of applications fall into a very small group of ways to solve specific problems. Is Ruby that language? Josh? No. <laughs> Uh, so, so you know, I'm a big Iron Ruby fan, and and, and the Ruby language itself is, I, th- I think, is is a, is a beautiful language. There's a, uh, a simplicity and a power there that that joined together is just just tremendous. Is Ruby the next big language? I don't know. I well, do is know it a language I, I, that a domain expert can use to. Is it a language that a domain expert can use to uh, to, to build their thing? To, you know, to build is their it thing. The, and, the Fox Pro VB access of yesteryear. Right. So. No, it is not. Um, it, it is a language that you can build that language in. But, you know, it, Joe O'Brien is, 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 has a great talk on domain-specific languages. And he talks about this one contract that he did where the entire company came down to two guys. One of them was a DBA and the other one was a financial guy. And they needed to be able to communicate. And so rather than, you know, going and writing the application that did all the work, they wrote a domain-specific language so that the financial guy and the DBA could have a common language and talk to each other. And it was written in, v, written in Ruby. Ruby itself is not the language that they need to be using, but you can write things on top of that. Yeah. Now, is Ruby the, the next big language that, you know, is it, is it going to solve all the problems? No. The, the, that language will have features, though, that Ruby has brought to the forefront and is, is pushing hard. So that's personal opinion. Well, you can see the impact that Ruby has had and dynamic languages has had on .NET. It's pretty, pretty apparent, pretty obvious. What, um, when I was talking to my brother, Jay, who's a Java programmer, about this and uh, about you know, how software got too complex, and he said that his boss has a phrase, a mantra, which is, if it were easy, 7-Eleven would be doing it. <laughs> Software development were easy. Seven Eleven would be doing it. You know, would you like a reg- a thirty two ounce Slurpee and uh, you know an ERP system? <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think? Is there? Uh, does anybody have an opposing viewpoint? Are we all in violent agreement. Stand to the microphone. My name is Bo Gullage. I work with Northrop Grumman IT, and um, I consider the power element of what you can do today versus what you could do before and the time saving and the amount of information that you can process so quickly and be so agile. I mean, back in the days of TRS-80 or working in assembler and just how painful that was, using debug with MS-DOS 3 or something to do something. And, oh, sure, yeah, it was pretty simple, but you could not do that much with it. Or the speed of pain of compiling something on a 386 machine just took forever. So, yeah, um, things are a little bit more complex, but the speed with which you can move forward and gain new information, especially from the Internet and looking up examples of how other people have done it, to where you can just ramp up so much faster. And there's frameworks that are built on frameworks that make it so much easier to do very complex things, like to build a window on a computer, whereas before you had to drill down and do every little brush and 
you know, the yeah. GI elements and all that yourself. You don't have to do that. As these frameworks get more complex, it builds up closer to the level of a natural language. And that reduces the complexity of me and my brain of what I have to process to do it. Let's I don't have to work with eyes and nose. Y'all, they're more simple, but they're not close to my own brain. As things get closer and closer to the way I think and the way I move and my graphical moving with and interacting with my environment instead of having to type text and then compile and then do something with that is so much closer to the way we naturally operate as humans. It's more complex, but it builds up closer to our own metaphors that we use every day. So, so is it me, fair to say from your opinion that, uh, yes, the power level, we are, we are much more powerful today than we were back then. Yes, it has grown in complexity, but the ease and speed at which you can do things. But um, what about, has complexity shifted then from the details of low-level programming to maybe just the choosing of technologies? Has it, has, is that where the complexity is? Yes. But also there's the ability to gain that information much more rapidly, like yeah. before having to go to a library or buy a book, process that. Now with the Internet, it's so much faster yeah. to gain the information that you need that it's faster to make the decision. Anyone else have a comment before we move on to the next? Uh... Yeah, but that power comes also with a pretty big cost. I mean, yeah, we've got a lot more power to really screw things up on a huger scale than we ever did before. Right. Yeah. It's so, a whole new size of mess. I'm sorry? It's a whole new size of mess. It, it is. And so, like, at least from my side, being the PM type and being a pretty strong opinionated person about lean, one of the things we haven't even talked about yet, Josh kind of alluded to it a little bit, but make the decisions before you even sit down to start writing code. I mean, yeah. what, 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 how are you narrowing the complexity with your customers before you even start to build a system? Yeah. yeah Best line of code I ever had that I ever wrote was one I didn't have to. Right. Mm. Fewer lines of code. We're not all addicted to code, right, really? Well, my... My own best estimates are that roughly half of the industry <laughs> is addicted, is addicted to, code. to code. All right. Uh, let's uh, take another question. Yeah, I'm Craig Burnson. Um, I cut my teeth, uh, my development teeth, using Fox Pro. And in fact, I'm still a Fox Pro MVP, even though I've not written a line of Fox Pro in several years. Um, do you think the tools vendors um, are somewhat at fault for leaving behind some of the small shops? I mean, Microsoft, Sun, uh, you know, whoever's out there left is the tool vendors. They get their money from the enterprise, not from the small people, mom and pop hobbyist shops. Do you think they've left them behind by not providing them tools they can use? And along the lines, another question along that lines is, do you think they're pandering to their existing base of developers and doing less to welcome new developers into the fold? I'd agree with that. I'm, I'm down with that. Yeah, it's, um, that's, that's what I call, some of you have heard of the Willie Sutton principle, right? You, you know the Willie Sutton principle, the yeah. bank robber? Yeah. That was asked, Willie, why do you rob banks? He said, because that's, that's where, where the, the money, money is. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I do. I think the tool vendors have let us down quite a bit. And, and, and I would agree with, with Carl's question because, and this is something I brought up at the MVP Summit, what to Microsoft was you're leaving the beginning guy behind too much. You don't have enough introductory material on these new technologies or even on .NET. I mean, when .NET came out, there was a lot of stuff on how to get started with it. Try to find that now on the Microsoft site. Although, in fairness, they're trying. You know, they do have free tools available. 
uh, for the entry-level programmers, which we identified a long time ago, was one of the very big barriers for entry. You have $100. More than what your wife is going to buy you for Christmas is too much for a tool. Um, I'm, I mean, that's that's really the level. And they went to free, which is a very good number. And they've got uh, a great number of programs, including the Bispark program and the uh, program for now high school. And if any of you don't know this, high school as well as colleges right. have access to software. So they, they, they are making better, efforts. I and I think there's also uh, Microsoft would like to solve this problem as well as anyone. And it's it's um, uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll get it solved. But I I think that their heart's in the right place. I agree with you that the actions have not been sufficient, and that we do have a problem that needs to be solved. Thank you. Thank you. Another question. Hi, I'm Greg Johnson, and I own a company called InlightMultimedia.com, and uh, we uh, develop websites. And I, I'm the company that he was just talking about. I'm a one man shop, and uh, we have um, we I've built all of our applications so far on front page and access. And uh, recently Expression being de-supported, I mean, making front page being de-supported has caused us to, or caused me and uh, to, well, I haven't even downloaded Expression yet. I have a copy of it, but uh, I don't know, you know, where we're going to go from here. I don't know if I'm going to go with some kind of freeware tool or if I'm going to go with uh, front page. And So just to clarify, what exactly is your comment then? That that expression is is well, you're right. They're de-supporting. They've de-supported front page. So, you know, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Front, front, front page has hit the magical ten-year mark, or yeah. is, is is very very close to it, and is no longer going to be supported here in the right. near future. And the company run is I've, every website I have built is on that. And you know, the, the then the funny thing about front page is you have to have server extensions built on the server right. to work yeah. with. And, you know, I'm worried about my host dropping that support, yeah. things like this. And, you know, if Microsoft could maintain that support or maintain tools to port to their new version, you know, something like that to help me, you know, and all the companies, this would go across all. Well, and it's sort of a sake you know, to you. I understand that they're wanting to make money, and that's, that's what we're all here for. Sure. And that's great. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Microsoft. But the idea is, you know, don't let that drive for competitive advantage kill your small businesses. Because the jump for you now, if you were to go to Modern Tools, it's it's a long way. Oh, absolutely! And uh, on the Microsoft stack, I have a job stack. that sides my company, so I have to uh, train yeah. up and you know find developers and a lot of things. That well, and I, I think another part of his, his, his comment here is that you know, alluding back to uh, what Billy started with, with the plethora of tools that are out there in the world, if he's going to make the jump from front page to Modern Tools. He might as well start evaluating everything. Yeah, there's <laughs> no, there's no, nothing the you're going to carry. To do now? Yeah, yeah, there's nothing you're going to carry from your skills of Microsoft technology right now. Is going to help you with new right. Microsoft. And technology. they could lose a customer because of this. And I, you know, probably not, but just just the idea. Yeah, but, but, uh, and by so the yeah. way, Josh, nice to meet you this morning. So, so, yeah, just go ahead and get started on learn, learning all that new stuff. And long about 2012, I think you will probably have figured out what your strategy What's is. What's available be. today? You know, the, the glide paths don't meet, not, not, certainly not with less than 40 hours a week. It will, go, it will come faster than you can learn it in 20 hours a week. Yeah. Leon. Hi. Oh, no. <laughs> you were asking about Ruby. Uh, hi, I'm Leon Gersing, and I may be one of the only qualified Rubyists in the room. So uh, two points. A, I don't think anyone on that panel is quite qualified to actually talk to the point of Ruby not being able to handle those things. Uh, so that's unfair. That's just one. Two, uh, I think that .NET has become complex and that software is not. 
And there are various com communities that are working very hard to keep it as simple as possible. And if we can open up and look outside this, this box, I think you will find a lot of things that you can learn and gain from and bring inside this community to help you be more effective, be more simplistic, and to be better software craftsmen. Thank you. I, I, I'd like to mention, I'm not hostile to any of that because yeah. I, I no. think Ruby is fine and is, is in fact one of the more um, obvious signs of the increased complexity because its strength is the simplicity that it brings. Mm -hmm. And um, I think PHP is probably the other tool that mm -hmm. demonstrates that. And so I, I'm not saying that, that, that I, I don't think any of us are trying to say that .NET has a, um, has a, a, a monopoly on, on what to do and that they, that can't learn from, from the other tools. I think that's certainly true. And that, in fact, dovetails with what I said earlier because the people that can't find themselves the time and, and energy and, and intellectual whatever to, to get going started with, with the Microsoft stack tend to go to those other things just out of because they don't have any other choice. And that's what I'm worried about for the Microsoft world is that once they're lost, that they'll never come back. Right. Hmm. Well, it's a shame you sat down, Leon, because we have a lot more to talk to you about. <laughs> okay. I think, I think we're going to... We're going to corner Leon for an hour on his own. Uh, I think and, so. Uh, make a show you need your own it. show. Yeah, I think All that's right. true. All right. We'll, we'll make, make that, that We'll make that happen. Uh, we got to keep rolling on the questions here. I'm Jamie Fox, and I think one of the big problems we have as technologists is the fact that technology has become so ubiquitous that clients have extremely high expectations. They see sites that look simple to use. Google. They've got eBay. They just knock something. They go... They use it in their everyday life. They've got iTunes. It's easy to use. It's simple. It does what they want. They want their line of business apps to do the exact same thing. So our expectations are very high. They don't see, well, hey, you've got to put together 10, 12 technologies to make it happen. They don't think about the fact that eBay has been an active product for, what, a decade now? So yeah. Yeah. yeah, good point. Expectations too high. But that's not a bad thing. You know, the reality is that more people are using software now, so of course they have higher expectations of them. And it's amazing how much work it takes to make a good, simple interface. You know, the WPF actually lends itself to some of the nicest looking and nicest, simple interfaces I've ever seen, but the bucket loads of code underneath to make that happen. It's, it's, it's actually not, a, there is a fair amount of code underneath it, but the process of of sifting through all of your possibilities right, right. to get down to something that is is uh, optimal. I did a session on that at TechEd and showed all the prototypes we did for the StaffLinks application and stepped through the design process. And and I think it opened a lot of people's eyes to just how hard it is to to lay out multiple ways of doing things and sort out from among them. Basically, we've reached an era now because of the increased expectations of the user and some other things where the way we always did things isn't good enough anymore. Right. And we have to go back and, and question all of our assumptions about what, soft, what software is supposed to look like right. and how it's supposed to act. Well, if you're having to do that much work to just evaluate options, doesn't that kind of point to a problem with the tools that we're looking at? Well, it does, but... Certainly a, indicates the sheer number of tools that we have to choose from. It's, well, or it's just even WPF. I mean, you talk about all those, all the exercise that you have to go through. And, and I don't do WPF, so you know, I'm not trying to get off on that. But just if I have so much complexity before I can even start building something, 
that I've had to evaluate just to select one choice, to me, that's a problem right there. It is a problem, but it, it, it comes out of the fact that we don't really understand how to use these new freedoms that we've been given in UI design very well. So four, three or four years from now, when lots of people have gone through that experience, folks will be able to point to something and say, I want it to look like that. But right now, those examples aren't out there. So the cliff is particularly hard to scale at the, this point in time, and the folks writing the designers don't know what those patterns of interaction are going to be. Therefore, uh, it's very, very difficult for them to come up with the tools that will satisfy the kind of, of, of user interface designs that we want to do. Let's move on with another question. Uh, Sean? Hi, I'm Sean Wildermuth. Uh, I, think, I think there's two, two things at work here. One is that I think we're complacent in thinking things are too complex because the single unit of work, the single line of code is so much easier to write today than it was. When we think back into writing common components and worrying about circular references and all that nastiness, that the single line of code and refactoring of code is so much easier today than it's ever been. Go back to the Petzl days of C, running Windows in C, and uh, Visual C 2 and 1.5, it sucked. It really just sucked. And, and you know, so the, the individual line of code. The other problem, and I think it's exemplified by Microsoft in some respect, and certainly speakers and people like me who like the new shiny toys, is it gives the expectation of the people that do um, this sort of work on a day-to-day -day basis that they need to understand the entire breadth. We, we did an open spaces about trying to drink from the fire hose, and, and we had two pages of 100, 120 different technologies that people could know. And I don't have a day job where I write code, therefore I only knew about 30% of them. And to think that the everyday developer needs to, and so I think there's a principle of pick um, pick a technology and go, and it'll probably be good enough. When I buy a car, I do not try every car before I go and buy a car. I go, well, I'm probably going to need a sedan. I'm going to try three or four, and then move on. I'm not going to go try the the <coughs> hatchbacks and try the um, uh, uh, the electric cars and try this or that. I'm just going to pick a technology and move it. If the skill set in my organization is VB and we're writing desktop apps, it doesn't need to be WPF. Could be uh, WinForms or VB6. It's good enough for most cases, especially the small shops. The problem is, we've been telling um, people, a lot of different people, it's kind of zealotry that if you don't know the newest stuff, you're not a good developer. Well, I'm, I pity if you go to buy a Porsche and you drive it home and it magically turns into a smart car. So. <laughs> I, I do want to go happen. on one point that you started off with here, Sean, which was. Uh, you know, yeah, developing in Windows and MFC sucked. There's no two ways about that. And that's why we got Visual Basic and those sorts of tools to build Windows apps relatively painlessly, working with the Microsoft guidelines for UI. I mean, we were living in a pretty neat, tidy can back then. And when .NET first came out, I don't think there's anybody who would say that .NET 1.0 was a more productive tool for building apps than VB6 was. But we forgave it because it was a 1.0 product, and we didn't know it that well. And you know, then it moved on to 1.1, it moved on to 2.0. And I mean, once we the, learned it, we were like, hey, man, this is pretty it, damn nice. The but how is, many of those BB apps you wrote did you spend half your time in the Win32 SDK? And so, that's the important part, because um, VB6 was more productive than MFC, certainly. I don't have any d d discrepancy about that. But we spent all this time in the minutia. If we wanted to do something that was out of the box, that didn't right. look like the standard Windows app, we're going to do owner draw. 
No. Most of the people in here, and certainly I wasn't willing to do that stuff. That's why these new technologies are interesting. But for most business apps, no. Sorry. It's just not important enough. So, so I, I, think, I think the point that uh, Sean's making here uh, is actually a very valid one, which is that uh, for us professional developers who do this for a living day in and day out, things have become more more powerful and simpler, et cetera. We've, we've dropped off, however, the bottom half of the market. And that's and that's the hobbyist that that, that, that you guys were talking about, um, I, but I think I think for us professional developers things have gotten easier and more powerful. I think I think that's part of your, what your your point is making. Certainly, certainly. But but the 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 judgment we give for developers that don't use the newest stuff, I think there's right. a peer pressure there that is unfair. You know, and it certainly it's the. You know, C-sharp developers think they're better than VB developers. VB developers think they're better than SharePoint developers. SharePoint developers think they're better than Foxborough developers. That's part of the problem. <laughs> and Foxborough developers think they're better than everybody. <laughs> Very good. Thanks. Thanks, Sean. Question. Yeah, I'm Steve Russell. I'm as a uh, person who's worked for many small companies and some big companies with big teams. A lot of us are confused as to why Microsoft is forcing us to name off three servers right off the bat that any new project needs. There's a data server, there's an app server, and there's the web server. And it's really frustrating for small mom and pop companies who were looking for to us when I used to write Fox Pro apps. Uh, to do something quick, down, and dirty, and now it takes so much more stuff just to do the same basic request. The, the good old-fashioned CRUD app. Right? That's business is CRUD. Yeah. I take an order, I fulfill it. Yeah. It hasn't really changed. So, I mean, another way of spinning your question would be, is .NET the wrong product for building the good old-fashioned CRUD app? Well, can I ask you this? Your good old-fashioned CRUD app, how many people are going to use that? at one time. Is this like a small website? It could have been 50 to 100 users within the company. So I think you could I think you could easily put a free version of SQL Server on a box and and get out ASP.net and probably have something going pretty soon, don't you think? Yes, I could. But it used to be much simpler. I now have a 900-pound gorilla in the on my back every time I'm opening up a new solution set for someone. It's true. And that's that's difficult to deal with when it used to be we we had an opening speech that was like I can get that out over the weekend. But you well, you can't do that today. You like can't it used to be. I'd argue that as well. I mean it, so I'm not trying to defend it, but how you said Microsoft is forcing you to have three servers. And I, I'm that's, interested in, in why you think that's so. I mean, I'm not Microsoft. I'm just interested in that perception because I've been around any number of solutions that haven't been that. You've, you've got your services where your app is going to be residing, all the business logic. You have your web front end, and then you've got your data. It could all be on the same box. It's not, yeah, it could all be on the same box, box, and it can all be done... Behind, you know, in a in a in a simple project in an ASP.NET project. Yeah. So, so uh, there there's a there's a recommended architecture, which is a kind of a, a two or three tier architecture, and you're talking about about a recommended three tier architecture, mm-hmm. which is you know separation of data from logic from front end, and and that that's a recommendation. Yeah. Right. I'm not holding a gun to your head and saying do this. I'm, that's, I'm, that's standard but operating I, but I'm saying procedure. That, you know, that, that there, there's a standard operating procedure there. But if you look, that's not just Microsoft recommendation. 
Um, I mean, you know, that if you look at a Rails app, Rails apps have got the same set of, 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 of logical separation. It may or may not be physically separated, but it, there is actually that that separation of data tier from 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 controllers and from from your logic and, and your your views and your your front end. So that's not just Microsoft. So I'll, I'll, I'll you know hold off on that. But the other thing is, you don't have to to do that. You can from your ASP.NET application. I don't recommend this, but you can open up a data connection right there inside your page and rock on. Don't do that, but you can. <laughs> I'm not holding a gun to your head. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. So I want to get back to something that Richard said in passing that I think is significant. He asked whether Visual Studio was the wrong tool. And to me, it's absolutely, completely the wrong tool. It's a tool for writing software about technology. And the first questions that we should be asking people we're working with is, what's the business need and what do you need to do? And the only tool I know of from Microsoft that begins to address that question is a brand new tool called Sketchflow that still has a lot to prove itself. The Microsoft Visual Studio is about writing technology. It's not about writing business. And our job is to, is to make businesses run better by creating a better solution from a business perspective. And our tools simply do not look to that problem, uh, which is why I don't think it's a languages problem. I think it's a need to abstract our business information, what we get from our business, away from the technology. So all this conversation about technology becoming more complex, the real killer is that then we take everything we know and we commit it permanently, unable to ever extract it from a specific set of technologies. And that's what I really hate and what I hope will be changing soon. Okay. Question over here. Hi, I'm Jamie McQuillan. Um, it's not really so much a question as it is just a... I'm trying to get your guys' viewpoint. Um, from what I've seen is um, the hardware is actually growing so much. Um, so the processing power, the amount of memory you have, um, the graphics processing, all that has grown so much. So it allows the developers to do a lot more, and it allows the problems that they're trying to solve to become more complex. So I don't think it's so much that um, the coding is becoming more complex. It's more that the problems that we're trying to solve are becoming more and more complex and the demands from the customers are becoming greater because they see the processing power and they want to see the speed and they want to see the bling and they want to see everything kind of put together in one package. I tend to agree with you and I think the if statement still works the same today as it did, you know, before. <laughs> right, like, right. Um, I, I, I don't agree that the technology itself has become too complex. The things that I see are too many choices trying to figure out what to install as a developer. If I'm coming into this today, what do I install? What's the current version of X tool pack, kit, service pack, one, whatever? You know, because these things are iterative and they come out so often, it's very hard to find if you're searching the internet, what's the latest version of what do I need to install to get my box up to speed if I'm using such and such a tool? And I think the tools, once you, once you see somebody demonstrate a tool, that's whether it's entity framework or a story or RIA services or whatever it is, it it's just as it's the same if statement that it was, you know, it's code. I don't see it that as being more complex. What's complex, like you're saying, since the hardware is getting more complex, the the the, the choices, the things that we need to do, that that's what's difficult, I think. And I think it's particular a barrier to entry issue. Yeah, and I, I'm really seeing that a lot of the a lot of the problems that were considered complex five years ago have already been solved. There's already been patterns around them. 
yeah. um, something like um, a dynamic UI was something that was huge 10 years ago. And now that problem's been solved, and so they moved on to something bigger and better. Good point. Thank you. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActiveReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. Hey guys, Jason Clark. Um, I think we, you guys have been discussing and the questions have been asked seem to be ignoring the biggest problem, and that's the elephant in the room that nobody wants to seem to want to talk about, and that is the developers themselves. Um, it seems that, to me, like a lot of the problem with complexity has a lot to do with our ego, that we, Amen. we revel in complexity. We want to be seen as the geek uh, or the nerd that can figure out the really tough problem. And when people ask us how we do things, we don't tell them simple answers. We try to confuse them. We try to make it look like we're so smart. Until we can get over that mindset of we have to be smarter than you and we have to appear like everything's way harder than it is, it's never going to get simple. We have to simplify it first in our minds and quit acting like we have to be the all-knowing gods of, of technology and development. And until that happens, software, techno- or software development is only going to get more and more complex. Preach on. Preach on. You know, I'm going to buy that guy a beer later. You like that? Seriously. I have been saying on the show for so many years that if you're going to be a good software developer, you need to kill your ego. Because, listen. Yeah, go ahead. Because that means that you're not new to when you are wrong about something, which will kill you. And you're not new to, hey, this technology might be better than what you're working on, which could also kill you. And it's also, it just encourages the, the my framework is better than your framework mindset, which is just dumb. But something else that's also going to kill you is you're very conceited about where you've been and you're unwilling to change. Right. So the new tools, new practices... You know, hopefully you aren't writing code the same way you now that you were five years ago. The world's changed. And if you can't get that ego out of the way, you're hosed. Especially with the speed at which things are learned and, and shared today. And so, so I'll actually, I'll disagree. Uh, I don't think that we need to kill the ego. I think we need to be very proud. But I think we're proud of the wrong things. I think we're proud of the complex problems that we're solving in a complex way. And, and we're very, we're very, uh, excited about the, uh, uh, you know, the fact that we're the only ones who can figure this out. I want to be very proud of the fact that I'm able to take what people thought of as a complex problem and boil it down to something that everybody and everybody can understand and anybody and everybody can use my application. That's what I want to be proud of. And I don't want to, I, you know, I, the problem is we are proud of the wrong things. But I yeah. think with, without ego, we're not driven to move on to that, to, to, to that simple solution. Uh, listen, pride and ego to me are two different things. I, I, uh, maybe, maybe a stubborn ego is better than saying kill your ego. Kill your stubborn ego. Be open. Yeah, absolutely. But absolutely. you should absolutely be proud. I mean, we, everybody in this room needs to be proud of what they do. I agree. That's what we'll say. All right. Next question. 
Hi, my name is Mike Birch, and um, I guess I don't have so much a question as an observation. Uh, when I got out of the Navy back in 1968, my first job uh, that I got was as a draftsman, and I spent the next 20 years perfecting my craft, and this was back in the days when you did drafting ink on mylar, ink on linen. Well, in the 80s, CAD came on the scene, and so what the company that I was with at the time did is they brought in these CAD systems and trained us draftsmen as CAD operators, and it was fantastic. It worked out very well. But then through the process of attrition, these guys that had been draftsmen who were trained as CAD operators either retired or they moved on to other companies. Well, then our company started hiring these CAD technicians that were being cranked out by these uh, local community colleges. And we found out very quickly that it was becoming problematic because while these guys were good technicians, they knew the hardware and software in and out, they had no concepts of drafting. They were just trained to be technician monkeys, basically. My concern is with software and the directions it's taking, we're training software monkeys. Whereas you have uh, guys like me that got into programming back in the early 80s, um, you know, programming Fortran, C, learning good, solid, basic programming, um, and and building our craft and our skills, you know, and then we start adopting the, these new tools, it's a great thing. Well, what happens as through attrition, we start retiring or moving on to other companies, and then the uh, industry starts bringing on these young people that don't know anything other than, well, I can use this tool, but I don't know why it does what it does or what we would do if it stopped working and, and I actually had to write code myself. I mean, what's going to happen? I, that's something that's near and dear to me. I, I think as an industry, at mentoring and apprenticeship, we suck. Yeah. Amen. Yes, we do. And so, time and time again, I've had to work with young people that have gotten put on my team, and it's like, oh, I don't see a problem with this method that is 500 lines long and psychomatic complexity of 150. Oh, yeah, you know, like eight nested if statements? That's cool. Well, we've had bad training. We've had bad mentoring. And that, that's critical because, oh, is it complex? Well, I didn't recognize that. All right. I'm, I'm going to cut the lines off now. So if you're going to ask quite the, the folks who are in the line, uh, let's go with that. Otherwise, I'm afraid we may be here all night. And I have a whole bunch of good swag to give away tonight. <laughs> so, uh, let's finish up uh, the folks that are in the line for questions, and then we'll, uh, we'll call it a show. Next up. Um, Devlin Lyles, I, I would just want to put out there that I don't think that developing software has gotten more complex. If you look back on COBOL, you look back on Power Builder apps, VB6 stuff, especially the line of business applications, I mean... When stuff like the COBOL apps that we've got running against DB2 were written, it was okay for a user to run that thing, go home, and come back the next morning for it to finish up. I mean, when they were putting in records, taking out records, 15 minutes was okay. Or when you're looking at VB6 and you're trying to put together a distributed network because you need things to communicate across server farms, it was okay for those to open up a port and ping across it going, hey, are you there? Nowadays, communication between servers is as easy as going connection.open. I mean, to establish the same programs that we had that took thousands and thousands of lines of code and months to develop takes a programmer a week. 
I mean, we're, we can go through and take all of our legacy apps and rewrite those and get the same functionality. It's faster, it's leaner, it takes less resource, especially on our DB2 stuff where it takes six weeks to put a text box on a window. I mean, I don't see it get more complex. Yes, I think there are way too many choices out there, and I think that the tool sets and trying to get the best tools, I, I have not had a week at work where I'm like, oh, I need to go download this tool and because you get into those technologies. But as software evolves, it's getting simpler to do the same things. We're just adding a lot more things to do. The speed at which we think is significantly increased, I think. And maybe that's part of what you're saying. I mean, yeah. We've come to expect ourselves to solve bigger problems. Yeah. In the same amount of time. Very good. All right, thank you. Question. Yeah, my, my question speaks to specialization. The medical community over 100 years learned that just having a doctor in a hometown didn't cut it. Um, they decided, hey, we need to break down. we got to have podiatrists. We have to have oncologists. We have to have all these different types of doctors who specialize in certain things. And I think I'm wondering if the software industry could learn from that model. They they broke through that barrier, and I don't know that we have. I look at job you know listings, and you know I call them save the world jobs. You need to know C sharp. You know you need to know like a thousand languages and you know 14 different platforms, and you need to know when are we going to finally say you know maybe it's a good idea to to start having some special some some clear lines of specialization and what would those things kind of look like i know that's a big loaded question but is that something that we could do in the software industry in general as we become um, more specialized in those different arenas and by the way what what are they doing for the hobbyist surgeon out there <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> But obviously one of the ways to address complexity is specialization, and uh, it seems to have come by the wayside a lot of it. Yeah, I, but I don't think so. I think we specialize a lot in this industry. I, I mean, I, I think that um, there's an awful lot of groups that have people that are good at certain things. It's a casual specialization instead of a formal one. Mm -hmm. I think it happens all the time. I think it is a critical factor. It's why the one-to-three-man one shop is so threatened right now, because they can't specialize. The larger teams are naturally specializing. True. Is that a risk, though, with the pace that the technology changes? Of course it's a risk, but it's the only survival strategy is to have somebody who knows enough about WPF that everybody else goes to them, or whatever the particular technology is. Technology is coming so fast, you're simply not going to train a team of 10 or 20 people across the board. Um, I, I think I said... I put another editorial out there a while back that said nobody's competent to write software, and for every... Every definition we've ever had for the word competent, nobody in the world is competent to write software today. We don't know the whole breadth or spectrum of what's available and what we might should be using to solve a problem. We grab something and go, which is good. It just means that we don't know whether we've missed an easier way to do it. So a couple of questions there. Um, you talked about specialization and you talked about WPF guy, you know, that, that WPF guy. But... I'm wondering, you know, in a, in a one to three person shop, it's very, very hard to, to specialize that way we across can. the layers, you know, and, and, you know, but then the question is, well, should we have specialization by vertical? 
you know, so we know we, we've got a guy who specializes in healthcare and particularly podiatrists. You know, I mean, should we be specializing that way or should we be specializing across technology? You know, where it's, you know, we've got a, a JavaScript guy, we've got an HTML guy, we've got a, you know, C sharp guy that does, con, you know, controllers in the MVC framework. And I mean, should we be specializing that way or should we be, I mean, I, I, I love I, your question because I think it points to part of the problem is yeah. that um, in an ideal world, we should specialize based on the business. Because that should be the most complex thing. That is not Amen. what is most complex to us today. What is most complex to us is the technology. We have to cut our specialization across the most complex thing. The most complex thing today is the technologies that we're faced with. Therefore, that's what we have to specialize across. And it's not the right way to do it. And besides, if you're a developer, you got to look at the risks of that. If, if five years ago you became a specialist in remoting and you were the best guy available Amen. in the southeast on that, what good does that do you now? Absolutely. And, and that's one of the, yes, thank you. Bring it up. That was part of my, 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 my question there was, you know, it, it, that WPF guy. You know, I mean, I personally I love WPF. Is WPF going to be the technology four years from now? I, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell you that. You know, but if we specialize that distinctly on the technology side, you know, hopefully as we strip away these complexities, those things are going to start to go away and we're going to, you know, but, but I, you know, going back to originally what we talked about at the beginning, that one to three person shop, the business guy was the guy writing the application. We're so far away from that now that we're not building what the business guy needs. Business guy should be writing specs in our spec or cucumber. Nice. All right, next question. Uh, yeah, along the lines of specialization, I, I'm Clay McKinney with Bang Web Development, and uh, I am a one-man shop, um, and I cannot specialize in, in absolutely everything. Um, but what I can do, what, what I think the solution is, is um, um, I can seek out all the other one-man shops and three-man shops in Nashville and trade business cards with them and we can sell business to each other wholesale and you know between the between five companies we can have somebody that knows everything and that's my comment uh, cool so yeah. creating sort of virtual networks. companies networks of people yeah all right well uh, yeah my name is daniel norton i work for firefly logic here in nashville um, I, I got kind of beaten to the punch while I was standing in line that the idea that our egos are what inject complexity into the software development process. But let me ask you guys about this too. What about our customers? Isn't there something along those lines with that where they come to us and they want this software? And, you know, if I gave them that blue ASP.NET MVC template thing with a list on it, that would get the job done. But they'd look at that and go, oh, that's lame, you know? And what they, they say they really want is the gooey plastic covered, reflective, nice, awesome thing that looks like it was a Disney World. You don't They've really all need seen CSI Miami. Yeah. They don't, do they need that complexity too? So is that our egos and is it their egos too? Yeah. True enough. Yeah, our customers are part of the challenge. They have uh, often unreasonable expectations. Stupid customers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's a good, I mean, that's a hard conversation that you've got to have with yes, them early on. What is your priority is, and what's going to make you, what's going to be a differentiating feature for you? Is it the CSI Miami or is it the ability to do something that your competitors can't? Right. And have it first. And have it first. And, and can you back off the idea of custom software and buy something? Oh, and that's a good point. <laughs> 
All right, next question. Yeah, I'd like to ask about the, the speed of technology again. I work for the state of Tennessee, and, and i got to tell you, every time I see a Microsoft rep or an Oracle rep come out of a conference room, my thought is, oh, my God, what have I got to learn now? <laughs> you know? and, and so my, my question is, is the need really driving the, the technology, or is the need to sell technology kind of forcing, kind of trying to create the need? I I tend to see it as a cycle that eats itself, you know. It continuously feeds that back and forth. Well, but where, where, can, you, where can you put a stop there? Where can you break it? You Microsoft, stop the insanity. <laughs> We're doing it. <laughs> and it's not just Microsoft. It's every software company that's yeah. out there. We're doing it. Way. We're stopping uptake. How many of you are, um, how many of you are writing your own generics? That's, that's technology that's over three years old. How many of you are writing your own generics? Wait a minute. Okay, that, I'll just tell you that that was, that was less than that 10% of the people in the room. technology is quite a lot newer than, or quite a lot older than that, though. Define writing your own generics. You mean an implementation your, of generic your class, types? Your class is a generic class. Oh. You're using generics in your using own classes. Generics. So it's, it's, you know, we're not up to, we do not have full uptake of technology that we've had now for four years. Well, yeah, I mean, that's one th how many people still run in .NET 2.0? Clap. Wow. Yeah. That's a significant amount. Well, 40%? And, and the point being, that seemed, you know, 2005 2.0 was a sweet spot. Everything seemed to work, and you really got to find a reason to move, right? Sometimes that's enough. Sometimes. Particularly in bigger companies. I, at my .NET user group up in Dayton, there are a significant number of folks who work for companies that push back on that because right. they're meeting their business value now. It's not Cowbell's 4.0. Well, that's okay. Yeah. They're getting the revenue yeah. in, and their people are effective and productive in it. So pushing back on something and saying, I don't need it, that is a great thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Great question. Tell, tell the management that. Yeah. yeah. There you go. A couple more questions. Uh, hi. My name is Kel Niffin, and I'm a, I'm a student here, and uh, I don't develop in .NET at all. Okay. Um, so, I'm <laughs> so I'm probably an odd one out here. Um, but I, I, at this conference, I saw a lot of neat things. But what I didn't see was as much support for dynamic languages coming from Microsoft. And also, I think the complexity comes from Visual Studio. I think that if, you know, if, if uh, people started using things like, uh, you, you look at an example for, for .NET. Uh, rarely do you see it in Notepad. You have to be using I mean, you have to be using uh, Visual Studio. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I didn't start using it at the beginning because I could easily pick up the other things just by opening Notepad. And I, and I really think that's uh, that's hurting Microsoft or will hurt them because as you as you said, there's this. I mean, when I was in high school, I wish I could have uh, been able to get that stuff free. But I didn't, so you're probably going to see a, a fairly large gap in the next couple of years. That, and that's, you, should, you should now be able yeah. to get it for free. Yeah. Well, oh, well, yes, but I think you need to be starting to get, uh, if you had got me when I was younger. We need to introduce him to Don Box, don't yeah. you think? Yes, yes, yeah. we do. 
I mean, I'm I'm fine changing if if it's when I get a job or when I graduate, but for now it's. And that speaks to what we've been talking about. The barrier to entry is very high for for people just coming in. And you know, maybe maybe the thing is to not in to not start with Visual Studio. You know, to start with CSC, the C sharp compiler, and and Notepad, which you can do. The problem is, is that there's just not a whole lot of, uh, you know, help for for that. I think I think that's going the wrong direction here for part of the conversation, and it's the right direction for the other part of the conversation because we have professional software developers. We have people who you know spend their life doing software, and that's this room. And you know, should they be using CSC and Notepad? You know, there are, there are times and places for that, and should they have started there? Yes, because they should understand what's going on behind the scenes. But then if we go back to the beginning of the conversation with what Billy and Kathleen were talking about, that one to three man shop who 10 years ago was using Access and Fox Pro and VB, they were not starting with a notepad. And we have lost them entirely. So tell me how that person who was using Access or Notepad or Fox Pro I can't hand them a notepad and, and, and CSC no, and can't. say, go get started. No, you can't. My, my point was that, like he said, you know, the, I, I was just answering his uh, criticism, which was, right. I can't just pull up notepad. But, and the answer is, yeah, you can. There's just not a whole heck of a lot of help for you out there right. On, right. on how do you see sharp with notepad. But, but it's yeah. completely doable. Well, I'm going to start using Iron Python, but that's still not – that's still – it does not have that support for that tying in as yeah. well. Yeah. And I would like to see a Microsoft effort to do more of that. Thanks. All right, last question. Uh, my name is Gaines Kurgerson, and uh, I think I fall in between the generations here. I've been out of school for a while, but I also have not had the experience in the older technologies that many of our panelists do. I was fortunate to come in right before .NET and really jump in with my with in full force without having a lot of baggage behind me, I feel. And one of the things that was most valuable to me was the user communities and getting together with other people. And it wasn't a matter of how do I choose my tools from these thousands of different options. It was what are the people that I'm looking up to who are getting the job done? What are they using? And what can they teach me? And what can I then learn from the people around me? So I think that the question is almost mute in a way. It's, it's what's working for people that I see. Excellent. Thanks. Well, we're just about out of time. Do you guys have any uh, calls to action or any kind of last-minute thoughts you want to throw out there? Yeah, I got one. Um, I think one of the sources of the problem from my perspective is that in the 90s, we all came from different streams. We came from the Access, VB, Fox Pro, C++, and in the .NET world, we all got jammed into the same river, really, whether we liked it or not. And it was the tool to do everything for everybody. And that, that inherently carries certain problems with it, that there are certain things you just can't do when you've tried, got to make one thing serve such a broad range. And I think that we're seeing, from, from, my, from talking to a lot of people, a lot of pressure now to see more of a split in the way things are done. Because what an enterprise, agile, software craftsman, TDD guy wants just just is not close enough to, to what a one-man shop 
cranking out CRUD apps wants to do. Those two are so far apart that trying to bring them under one umbrella, I think, is just a fruitless task. All right. Yeah. Any other final words? Well, I think the in the future, which hopefully won't be that far away, it's all about the metadata. It's all about the business description. It's all about that. It's not about language. It's not about technology. Um, that for us in the .NET space is called the DSL Toolkit, and it's called uh, Oslo. And so we've got a lot of stuff coming. There's other stuff that, that's down the pipeline too. I don't think that we will have this conversation. I hope is I certainly hope we do not have this conversation in three years in this way of hey. Is it a problem or not? I think that we'll um, have solutions and we'll be tearing them down uh, within three years. Okay. Jim? I'd encourage three things. One, look hard at what you're building. Learn about lean so you can make hard decisions about doing minimalistic, the most simplistic solution. The second thing would be use your brain for the tools that you're evaluating to use. And the third thing, and it's probably the most important is even in smaller shops, work at continually improving your skills. And I don't mean what you're using for technologies, but how you're going about building. If you're not part of a mentoring program, get involved in that and learn how to build software better. Josh? Yeah, what they said. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and that concludes Donnell Rocks from DevLink and Natural. Thank you! .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I